Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. It's good to see you all. You're so welcome. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, if we've never met yet, my name's Andy. I'm a senior pastor here, and we really do hope that you feel very much at home, at ease with us. Uh, just to highlight for any of you that are following along or want to follow along with our Lent devotions, uh, we kicked off Lent last Wednesday morning with just an extraordinary time, uh, half seven Wednesday morning and Ash Wednesday service. Um, if you missed it, be the most organized human in the world and put next year's Ash Wednesday in your diary because um, it, genuinely it was a profound time as we worshiped Jesus, opened the scriptures, as we prayed for each other. Um, it, was, it was wonderful. Um, but there are uh, Lent devotions available for you. The welcome team will have them on their way out so you can grab one on your way out. Um, a confession. Uh, it's maybe helpful that we all just acknowledge this, that the reason we want Chris to shave his head so much is because we're jealous of his hair. I think that's kind of how that works, um, or what's really going on. Anyway, we, th- this morning we're kicking off uh, a series called uh, Living in the Shadows, and uh, this is going to take us through the kind of season of Lent uh, up to, to Easter, and we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about physical death and dying. Just nudge the person beside you and say, I knew we should have stayed at home today. <laughs> um, before, uh, before you leap to regret um, about uh, what you've kind of signed up for, uh, for the next 30 minutes or so, um, I, I, w- I want to say a couple of things just as we begin this this journey t- together uh, that are, are um, quite important to me. Um, the reality is this topic is pretty vast and complicated. Truthfully, one I would rather avoid. Um, but for the last number of years, I've just really felt nothing else that I could describe other than a burden that this subject is really important for us to actually talk about. I want to, if I could be so bold, ask you all for some things as we go on this uh, journey together. Um, And uh, the the first one is to maybe just be gentle and gracious, because um, Stu and I are going to share the teaching over the next six weeks uh, don't pretend or profess to be anything close to experts when it comes to this subject. Um, in fact, we feel completely out of our depth <laughs> and quite nervous. Um, and also, we're really aware that it's going to feel, I think, when we get to the end of most Sundays, a little unfinished. And th- that's kind of a-, a preacher's worst nightmare. Like, you know, whenever I do feedback for the guys on their talks, usually a big part of that is on where we landed and that people have, like, things that they could actually take away and 
remember rather than whatever clothes you were wearing that particular morning or something silly like that. Um, and yet when it comes to this stuff, it is kind of my expectation that due to just the topics that we're going to cover, it's impossible for us to say everything. And uh, we, we really do kind of expect to land in slightly different places than would be normal for us. Of course, we're going to finish our times uh, praying for each other and focusing on Jesus. But I do anticipate that there'll be some Sundays when we'll go, we're leaving now? <laughs> I feel like I need something else. Um, also, I, I feel like um, some of this might make a bit more sense by the time we get to the end of week six. And we can actually look back together on the whole thing, as opposed to kind of in the middle going, well, he didn't say anything about that, or they didn't talk about that, what's going on? Um, it's not our promise that we'll get to cover everything that you want us to say, or talk about things that are going to be easy, but um, I think it will be helpful if you can, if you can, just commit to come on the journey with us. If you can find skin-colored AirPods, feel free to bring those Put them in. I won't know that you're not listening to me, but I'll feel better that you're here. Um, rather than like one of my fears is as we get towards Easter, the room's just going to get more empty and more empty and more empty. Um, and then on Easter Sunday, we get to talk about life in the resurrection and uh, not necessarily the shadows. But secondly, this is really important. Uh, it's my conviction that the avoidance of death, um, of thinking about it, of talking about it, um, is actually more than just like an uncomfortable thing that we don't want to think about. It's actually my conviction that the avoidance of this subject is, in fact, a spiritual stronghold in our lives and culture. And that we actually live in a time where we worship comfort. Like we actually worship comfort. And we measure our lives by how comfortable we're feeling. And if we feel really uncomfortable or things aren't quite going so well, for many of you, your first thought is, what am I doing wrong? Because life isn't supposed to be like this. And of course, that's not actually true. Because life is hard. And that's true. And I'm really aware as we kind of just grab hold of this thing and open the scriptures and talk about it and feel awkward and uncomfortable, that we are very deliberately poking a bear and like I've poked a few bears in my kind of 20 odd years following Jesus. And here's what I've discovered happens when you poke bears. They growl at you. And when a bear growls at you, you have three choices. The first one is a very instinctive one. You just want to run away. And it's actually really unhelpful for you because if you continue to follow Jesus, at some point he will lead you to poke that bear again. And then it will growl at you again. And then you'll run away again. And then round and round we go. It's one of the reasons why we don't actually mature in our faith. Because we never actually learn that when bears growl at us, we're supposed to growl back. And when bears growl at us, we growl back. And then one of two things happens. The bear runs away or you end up in a fight with a bear. That's life with Jesus. Fighting with bears. This is what it feels like. And part of my job, I think, is to help you learn how to fight bears. And that's some of what we're going to do over the next six weeks together. But he, here's the deal. Um, I felt it in the 9.30. Pauline Hyde, God bless her, met me in the car park because like, I literally felt like I've been wrestling with a bear for the last hour and a half. And when worship started, I thought, I actually just need some fresh air. And I met Pauline in the car park. She said, are you okay? I've been praying for you. I said, actually, I'm not okay. And then she prayed for me right out there. It was exactly what I needed. Because when we learn to fight bears, we have to learn how to need each other. 
I'm going to have to learn how to be honest. And it is my expectation over the next six weeks that you will find yourself face to face with some bears and growling bears and that. <laughs> and you're going to have to learn what are you going to do? You're going to run away? You're going to grow back? You're going to actually learn with Jesus and each other how to actually wrestle and fight with uh, these things. Um, breathe out. That's probably the heaviest sermon intro I've ever written. Um, Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. Teach us, speaking of God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is a mad verse. Like most of us live like this verse is heresy. Like it's completely untrue. Because my paraphrase of this verse is, teach us to live with our own death in front of us so that we can make good decisions. Teach us to live mindful of our own death, physical frailty, so that we can become wise. The world that we live in says don't talk, think, engage with physical death. Avoid it at all costs. And we'll talk more about where that's come from and why in a minute or two. But the scriptures seem to be quite clear. Teach us the number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Something that I'm convinced the world is desperate for. There was a time 25, maybe 30 years ago or so, where one of the primary apologetics, one of the best way to kind of help people open their lives to Jesus was to talk about truth. And the, some of you that remember those days will, will remember books like The Case for Christ. That if we could provide evidence for these things to be true, then people would be moved and open their hearts to God. And that, that is true. And by the way, we still believe in truth. <laughs> That's really, really important. But I'm not sure it's an overly effective apologetic today. Whereas I think wisdom is. Like we, we live in an age where people are desperate for wisdom. How do I learn how to live a good life? What do good relationships and healthy societies actually look like? And if you wonder just how desperate we are for wisdom, join a youth alpha team. Just go into a school and sit with a bunch of teenagers and see how hungry they are for someone somewhere to help them figure out how to live a meaningful, purposeful life. Because one of the things that's happened to us as a culture is we've just unanchored from any form of certainty anywhere. Be whoever you want, however you want, wherever you want is a curse, not a blessing. It's a curse. We live in a time that is desperate for wisdom. And the psalmist is so clear. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There is something about the contemplation of death that gives birth to wisdom in our hearts. I chatted to a couple of guys after the 9.30 who were visiting from Spain. Uh, teenagers. And um, they were like, that was so helpful this morning. And I was like, are you lying to me? <laughs> And they were like, we're young, we never think about these things. And I was like, 
glad I think it was helpful. We live in what commentators call the information age. The answer to almost any question that you can come up with exists in your pocket. It's the information age. We have never had access to more information. And um, the irony is that with all of this information, we just seem so absent of wisdom. Where do we actually get it? For any of you under 30, this will come as a shock to you. But there was a time when you, when you wanted to find something out, you had to find someone who knew something about it. But you had to actually go find a person. Or some of us had these things called Encyclopedia Britannica's. Whole volumes of actual physical books. I never had the patience to go look stuff up in an encyclopedia uh, Britannica. So I, I used to just ask my dad. And my dad is uh, an absolute legend. And he has this thing about questions. That when you ask my dad a question, regardless of how much he actually knows about the subject, he always answers full of confidence. <laughs> and um, whenever I was about 11 years old, I asked my dad, um, Dad, when do you get to know stuff? And uh, he said, what do you mean, son? And I was like, well, it just feels like I have all these questions and you have all these answers. And I would like to have the answers without having to ask you the questions. And when do you get to figure it out? And he actually reminded me recently in a conversation I was having with my own sons that now I know stuff. <laughs> Victory. Um, the reality is we get wisdom by living intentional, reflective lives. By not avoiding hard things. And we are desperate for it. There's a vacuum of wisdom in our society and it's palpable for anyone that's paying attention. An absence of wisdom. And one of the reasons that we live in a society that's absent of wisdom is because we worship comfort. That's one of the reasons why we don't have any wisdom. Because we organize and order our lives to avoid uncomfortable things. And there is something about struggle that gives birth to wisdom. Like if you want to figure out how to build a really great marriage, go and find a couple who've fought some bears together. And they now have something to say to you as you begin your life together. The, the couple that say, gosh, we've never had an argument in our lives. Good on them. They've nothing to offer the rest of us. That's just true. I remember sitting in a church one time and the guy speaking said, my wife and I have been married 20 years. We've never had a crossword. And I literally, we'd been married about a year. I thought, well, you've nothing to offer me. I want to sit with a couple in their 70s who are so in love who can talk about the times that were really hard and how they worked it out together. They have something to offer all of us. Wisdom comes as we engage in the struggle, as we wrestle with the bears, as we learn how to put one foot in front of the other through some of the darkest and hardest days of our lives, staying faithful to Jesus and soft-hearted to those around us. 
There's something about embracing the frailty of our own lives that gives birth to wisdom in our heart. Something about recognizing that all of us are decaying and one day we will all die. And living in the truth of that that gives rise to something within us that the scriptures call wisdom. I know um, embracing this stuff, looking at it, talking about it, resisting the temptation for you to check your social media feeds right now. It's hard. This is uncomfortable. We don't think or talk about death. It's one of the few cultural taboos that exists in our society. In the 1950s, a British sociologist named Jeffrey Gore wrote an essay titled The Pornography of Death. His central idea was that death was to the 20th century what sex and childbirth was to the 19th century. This is what he was saying in the 1950s. You see, Victorian Britain, in Victorian Britain, sex and childbirth were taboo. Nobody would ever bring up either subject at a respectable dinner party. And you definitely would never talk about either around the kids. But this is where the ideas of babies being delivered on, by storks came from. It, it literally was, that's a bit too messy and intimate for us to talk about in public. And like I said, definitely not ever around the kids. Death, on the other hand, in the 19th century, it was everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Apart from those killed in war or accidents, the vast majority of people died in their homes, surrounded by their families, including the children. To us, this may seem like stories from another world. Fast forward 150 odd years, we still aren't very good at talking about childbirth, but sex is everywhere. And death has been moved off into hidden corners, secret cupboards that we only ever engage with or open when we absolutely have to. And we've removed it from our homes. We've removed it from our lives. And we definitely don't talk about it around the kids. Never mind... (laughs) Never mind people. When the dog dies, we tell the children he's gone to the farm. Why? What are we afraid of? So, some of you will know that Dan and I totally dabble. I couldn't even say this is a hobby. But we dabble in, or I do, I don't know if this is a we. Um, <laughs> You, well, you started it, but then I did all the work. Um, but anyway, that's somebody who's fought some bears needs to help us with that one. Um, but we dabble with uh, raising some of our own meat. So last year, we did some lamb. We have some pigs this year. And uh, whenever people find that out, the f- we always get asked the same question. Same question. Anytime anybody comes up or they see the pigs, and they're like, what are they for? And we're like, food. And then they're like... What do you tell the children? And I'm like, we tell the children that uh, we love and care for the animals. We give them the best life they can possibly live. We kill them as humanely as possible. And then we thank God for them before we eat them. So we do. And people go, that is crazy. (laughs) And then I'm like, what do you tell your kids? 
as they're enjoying a bacon sandwich. By the way, Kitty's bacon grows on trees. Like this is where we realize when we actually think about these things that somehow we've made foolishness wise and wisdom foolish. This is what we've done. You can't talk about killing animals while you're eating a steak. Now, for any vegetarians or vegans in the room, I deeply respect you. I have no problems with you, and I completely understand your position. What drives me nuts is meat eaters thinking it's weird what we do. Because we'd rather someone else kept animals in horrific conditions that we never need to look at or think about or engage with so that we can enjoy a steak conscience-free. This is, these are the, this is true. There's something about death that we have scooched off into all kinds of places to go. I must not think about that. My grandmother has a photograph in her kitchen of uh, Market Day in Dromore Square, probably 150 odd years ago, mid 19th century. There are carts full of pig carcasses, the coal carcasses that I guess you just bought one, carried it home, butchered it yourself. Like, can you imagine? Like, you ever have that moment where you're driving down Lisburn Road and the butcher's getting a delivery and they've left the lorry open? You're like, what is that? <laughs> Someone needed to put like a health warning as I was driving to a coffee shop. So we've just taken death and we've moved it out of our lives. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, speaking of Jesus, says this. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death and free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. I used to love in youth ministry when teenagers would say, the Bible has no relevance for today. Like the bunch of things written Thousands of years ago, what has what it really got to say to us today? <laughs> he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Our cultural fear of death is so deep for most of us, it's subconscious until it kicks the front door in and says, here I am. We've managed to build a world that for most of us and for the most part looks like our deepest fear doesn't exist. Until, of course, it does. And then what do we do? Many of you will know that I'm a bit of a Lord of the Rings geek. And um, there's an opening monologue in one of the movies by Galadriel. And she says these words. She speaks of a rumor of a shadow in the east, whispers of a nameless fear. I think that is actually most of our relationship with physical death. It's a rumor of a shadow, whisper of a nameless fear. Death haunts us. And for most of us, we try to ignore it as best we can. But when we can't, and the rumor becomes reality, and someone we love dies or receives a diagnosis or we do, what do we do then? 
Like what actually happens? What is our response? Because the worship of comfort and the denial of death leaves us like boats with no ballast. When the inevitable, the inevitable storms of life come, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we respond? The avoidance of death does not serve us or our children because God invites us to live in the real world, like the real world. Because God cannot be present to a version of you. God cannot bless a version of you. He cannot comfort or meet a representative of you. God can only meet comfort and care for you. The real you. Rich Nathan, a vineyard pastor from the States, said this to me a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't been able to shake it ever since. He said this, the more real we are, the closer we are to God. The more real we are, the closer we are to God. This is the great danger of church. Is if we're not careful, church can actually become a distraction for us from the reality of life. That we come in here to have some kind of hyped up, curated version of what life actually looks like to help us avoid or ignore the reality of tomorrow. And the great irony is it leaves us with a life absent of God. Church. We get a Sunday full of him, but a life absent of him. Because actually the more real we are, the closer we are to God. We're going to unpack that more fully in a, in a few weeks. But the truth is, physical death is a part of life. And engaging with it is good for us. But the shadow is like a rumor haunting us. The metaphor of shadow and shadows are all through the scriptures. And one of the things that's kind of crept into the church is we have this idea that hard is bad, Shadows aren't good, and we're just supposed to live in this kind of, where are you, right? Yeah, up and to the right life all the time. Like, if you're doing life with Jesus well, things are just going to get better and better and better and better and better. Most of the apostles were martyred. Like, that's a really important thing to reflect on if you're like, I want to be really serious about my faith. I want to follow Jesus. I want to order my lives around the priority of his kingdom and his presence, and his mission in the world. We have got to be so careful that we don't just attach material comfort and success to what a life blessed by God looks like. This metaphor of shadow is all through the scripture, and there's two competing shadows that I think most of us need to open our lives Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Most of you could finish that psalm. 
valley of the shadow of death where we can fear no evil? Could that be even possible? But there's, there's more to this because I think our, sometimes our um, imaginations betray us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Can I tell you what that looks like for me in my life? Usually it looks like a season where I haven't paid attention to my physical limitations. And I hit a wall. And I spent two or three days in bed feeling pretty terrible. And the green pastures are his presence. They're not a spa. We think that God making us lie down in green pastures is like the Gal Gorm for an afternoon. I don't think that's it at all. The, the green pastures are his presence in the midst of suffering, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of questions that haunt us and problems that we can't solve. It's not material solution, success or wealth, it's his presence. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like this is one of our life verses, I think. We talk about it all the time, that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Yes, there will be a table one day at the destruction of our enemies, There is that table and it is coming, but that's not the table that God lays for us right now. The table that God lays for us right now is a table in the presence of the things that hurt us and haunt us. That in the midst of the darkest and hardest days of our life, God says, I am here, come and eat. Come and eat. The valley of the shadow of death. But there is another shadow. Oh, I'm past it. Sorry, guys. I'm going to Hebrews. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. How do you tell if you're in the shadow of death or the shadow of the Almighty? Shadows are just dark. My experience of life with Jesus is the shadow of the Almighty is always available to us when we walk through the shadow of death. Always. If, if we would have eyes and hearts to engage with it. And that is so hard. That is so hard. Jesus said, narrow is the path that leads to life and few find it. Because when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, shaking your fist at God, turning around from him and walking in a different direction is much easier than falling to your knees, rending your heart open before him and screaming why. But that one will keep you in his shadow. You see, to be human is to die physically. To come close to death is part of a life of love. And yet, 
this other shadow, the shadow of God. So beautiful, peaceful, powerful. It's stronger than any shadow death, any shadow death can cast over us. When Hebrews says that Jesus came to free those who all their lives were in slavery by their fear of death, he doesn't free us by making it that we never have to face physical death. We know that in our bones. We know that in our bones, that all of us have had to face physical death, the loss of loved ones. But when we go through that valley and when we walk through that shadow, we get the choices. Will we, in our grief, in our anger, in our confusion, will we allow the shadow of God to cover us? And here's the thing. This is where we're like, surely that can't be it, Andy. That still feels hard. That still feels difficult. The Psalms say that his word is a lamp onto our feet. And lamps are funny things. They make you walk one step at a time. With lamps, you can't run. Well, you can try. You'd probably trip. It's as we engage with the shadow of God that we see just the next step. And we're addicted to the next 15. We love the plan. And God never promised us the next 15. He said, I'll just show you the next one and the next one. And it's as we take the next one and the next one and the next one in times that are really, really difficult that we become those grizzled 80-year-olds that have something to say to those coming behind us saying, how do we stay with Jesus in this? What does this actually look like? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty here and now forever. James, why don't you and the guys come back up? The truth is that, I thought you were in the front row, mate, sorry. I should have given you more warning. <laughs> you see, the truth is, and this is where we get to the, like, we're landing somewhere that we don't normally land. <laughs> because the truth is, everything in this life is going to be taken away from us. But there is something, there is something that can never be taken from us called God's love. It can go into death with us and take us through physical death into his arms forever. Like this is the gospel, that the love of God revealed and made available to us in Christ Jesus can never be taken from us, can be ballast in our boat, that whenever times get really difficult, we learn to lean on his everlasting arms. Some of you will know that song. It's one of my favorite hymns. That song was written by an old music professor whose two students lost their wives in the same week. And they wrote to him, what do, what do we do now? 
he said, lean. Lean. Just lean. Find out that there is another shadow that can bear all your weight. That literally carries you through the storms of life, giving you something worth saying to anyone who asks. If you're able, please stand. things that makes this series so hard (laughs) is I know your stories I know the things that you're walking through and I know the pain of loss that you're carrying right now and um, I guess my job is just to humbly and boldly say lean Learn to lean. Just learn to lean. For some of you, like my friends from Spain, you're like, this just feels so far away from the vibrancy of life as a teenager. One day you're going to need to learn to lean. And it's okay. There is a shadow deeper and wider and better than any shadow death could ever cast. It's called the shadow of God. And it covers you now. So, Lord, we welcome your presence. And in all of the rawness of our hope and all the rawness of our pain, we humbly say, here we are, fully present to you with all of our questions and all of our anger, all of our doubt, all of our fear, all of our hope all of our gratitude we just say here we are humble pilgrims following you Jesus and right now Father I ask for my friends just meet us just meet us right now meet us in this place meet us where we are in Jesus name I ask